Let me um, encourage you to pull out these, these note cards that we've been passing out. You'll notice that you got another one today. So every two weeks, we'll be handing out a, a new one of these um, guides. And these are designed just to help you uh, further reflect on what we're teaching about each of these core values, um, help you look at the passages. Um, they're really great for a small group setting. So if you're part of a small group um, or you want to grab another friend and work through this together, that's a great way, or a spouse or, or um, someone close to you. Um, and then there are uh, exercises to actually try these things out in the weeks ahead. Um, this morning, actually, I've, act, I've actually asked Ben Cordemanch to help teach with me through this next core value of following. And he's going to talk about those, um, specifically those exercises at the end and how you might follow up with them. A reminder that uh, the last two weeks, we focused on our first core value here at JCC, and that is the value of belonging. Belonging to the, the family that God creates and calls together. And um, I've encouraged you to think about having a meal as, as a way to practice that sense of belonging. Find a, a day in uh, your calendar this month. Mark it out. Cook a meal that you love to make, that, that, that you sense the, the kind of belonging around when you, when you eat it. And then think about who the Lord might have uh, you invite to sit at your table and, and to share in that meal together. And if you do that this month, I'd really love for you to follow up and, and shoot me a quick email. Tell me what you made, who you invited, and what it was like to share uh, in belonging with that person or persons together. Um, yeah, what did, you, what did you experience? How did you grow through that practice? It's one that we can actually do over and over again, is learning to make space in our lives to welcome others. This morning, though, I want to move on to a second core value, and that's the value of following, specifically following Jesus in the practice of discipleship. Several years ago, I decided I wanted to learn how to swim more regularly, um, not just splash around in the pool, but actually swim for exercise. And at that time, this was right after Katie and I got married, I was a novice. I didn't really know many of the strokes. I didn't know how hard to push myself in the pool. But I figured, you know, how hard could this be? I'm sure I can figure it out myself. And so I would, I would go to the gym, I'd work out for a little bit, and then I'd go to the pool. But I kept running into the same problem. I'd swim for maybe 15 or 20 minutes pretty hard. And then I would get all out of breath, and I would start to get these terrible headaches. And I would leave the gym, and I'd feel terrible for like two hours. I'd have, I've had these, these lingering headaches. And I, I kept trying different things. I tried to swim harder. I tried to swim faster. Um, but I didn't really enjoy, enjoy swimming very much. I just kept at it because it was something Katie loved, and I was at the gym anyway. And, and so... I worked at it for about a year and didn't really see any progress until uh, there was a, a new gym that opened up right next to where we were both teaching across the street. And so we, we started working out there. And as we swam at that pool, it turned out that on the afternoons that I, I like to go to the gym, the person on, on duty managing the gym and particularly the pool during that time was a guy in his 20s. He was a swim coach. And he was a uh, you know, recently retired sort of semi-professional swimmer. He had, he had swam at a pretty high competitive level um, before coaching there. 
And so he would watch me get in the pool every day. He'd watch me struggle for 15 or 20 minutes, not knowing what I was doing. Until one day when I stopped at the end of my lane to catch my breath, he kind of quietly bent over from the side of the pool, and he, he told me what he was noticing me doing. And he said, hey, you're doing this with your hands. Maybe, maybe you, know, you need to extend your stroke this way. Or you're, you're kicking you know, in one particular way. You need to put your feet in a different position. So I, I tried what he told me and, and you know, practiced it a little bit. And then a couple days later, he, he noticed that I was not exhaling under the water. I was just holding my breath when I swam until I got to the end, you know, and I would come up for breath, but I, I didn't really have a proper breathing technique. And he noticed that, and he, he kind of showed me what I should be doing, when I should be doing it. And after, you know, a few weeks went by and a few months went by, I noticed that I started to relax in the pool. I noticed that I started to enjoy swimming. And I even found that I could swim much longer distances. I could go for a half hour, 45 minutes, and, and not get these headaches anymore. I, I would feel good when I got out of the swimming pool. This guy basically saved my future as a swimmer. And today, going to the pool each week is something I look forward to. Now, there, there are a variety of ways that we can learn something new. We can try to teach ourselves. Sometimes that works. We can get out a book and try to learn about something that way. We can go to YouTube and find videos to learn about something. We can go to a classroom setting and we can have someone lecture to us. But I found there are very few methods more effective than learning with a real person. Right? Learning from someone you can watch with your eyes Someone who can watch you try to do the thing they're, they're teaching you about. You can imitate, and then they can give you feedback in real time. Now that kind of learning, if you're on an athletic team, that's called coaching, right? In the working world where that takes place, sometimes that's called apprenticeship. But I think here at JCC, we also need to apply that kind of learning in the way we do discipleship. I think we need to understand that learning to follow Jesus takes practice. Something that we, we grow into over time. And that practice requires real live people. People we can watch, people we can imitate, people we can ask questions to, and people who will be intentional enough to help us make adjustments as we go through life. So the last, the last two Sundays, I've said we've talked about this value of belonging, of being part of a family that God is drawing together, and he's chosen us to be a part of. But if we come together and we begin to belong together as a family, a family also needs to know where it's going together. Right? A family needs to know who they are following. So today I want to move into this second core value, the value of following. And let me share uh, very briefly this, this discovery team, this group of people at JCC who have been thinking deeply about these values. This is how we've sketched out what following means for us. We value following Jesus as a disciple-making family who trust him to save us from sin, 
who obeys his teachings and who imitates his example in prayer, service, and love. We are eager to read, understand, and practice God's word together. Let me emphasize that word, practice, this morning, because that's, that's a lot of what we'll be thinking about together. Again, these core values have come out of a lot of the conversations we've had together with many of you about, about what you feel is sort of crucial to our identity, our, our bedrock, our, our anchor as a church. And so I think this, this core value of following is an attempt to pull together a few different convictions that we hold at JCC. The first is that we value the, the person of Jesus Christ. We value him as the Lord of all things. We, we value him as a person who has unique authority to speak to our lives and to tell us what is true, to guide us. We believe that we're meant to walk in relationship with Jesus and that we do that together as a discipling family. Right? It's not something we do individualistically. We're also a church that places a lot of emphasis. We have a high view of Scripture. We have a high view of the Bible as God's Word given to us. And so we believe that the Scriptures have the authority to teach us. They have the authority to define for us who we're called to be. So you might say at JCC we value following the written Word of God, the Bible, And we do that as we learn to follow Jesus, who is the the living word, the word made flesh. We have the the word coming to us in two different ways, and we endeavor to follow it. Today I want to invite you to open up to Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. And if you've got your scripture journals, you can can write out um, a couple of these verses this morning. But I want to read to you a familiar passage, but I'd invite you to to hear it and then to respond to it this morning. So let me pray for us as we look at God's word together. Lord Jesus, you have spoken your word. and It's been recorded for us. And it's your desire that we would not only hear it, but that we would practice it that it would be not only a static foundation beneath us, but it would be one that we continually trust in our obedience and our action together. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I teach, as Ben teaches this morning, may the meditations and applications of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. And it's, again, probably a pretty familiar passage to most of us. It comes right at the end. It's the last part of the Sermon on the Mount, as Matthew gives it to us. And we we looked at Deuteronomy a couple weeks ago, and I said at that time, Deuteronomy is kind of like the the core values document of, of the people of Israel, of the Old Testament. Right? What's central? How do we live together as a people? Well, I would, I would venture to say that the Sermon on the Mount is very much that same core values kind of document for the Christian church, for those who would follow Jesus as disciples. What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? What does it mean to belong to that kingdom? 
That's what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then at the very end, right, of those teachings, he gives us this parable. And it's a parable that describes two different builders. Two people looking to make a home and, and to settle down and to belong in one place. But as you listen to these verses, I want you to listen for the way these two builders are different. There's one respect in which these two home builders do or value something differently. And that, that, that little difference makes a huge, a huge difference in the long run. Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Jesus said, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. If you're looking to copy something down, let me invite you to copy 24 and 25. Verse 26, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I love this parable of Jesus's because it, it braids together, I think, a value both on God's word, right, that we need to hear it, we need to know it, we need to be familiar with what God has said to us. But it braids that value on God's word together with response, with action, with embodiment. Jesus pulls together here our need to both hear his words, but he also sees that we need help in learning how to do something with them. I want to offer just one really basic observation about this passage before I hand over to Ben. Right? We've, we've said there are two home builders that Jesus describes here, one in verse 24, the other starting in verse 26. And Jesus says both of them are, are largely similar in, in who they are and what they do, right? They both Jesus says, hear these words of mine. They both intend to, to make a home. We could say about either one of them that they have access to the word of God as a resource, the teaching of Jesus as a resource. But Jesus says the difference comes in what they do with it, how they build, how they take that and bring it into life. Jesus says the difference between empty discipleship and wise discipleship comes down to practice. One takes Jesus' word and puts it into practice, he says. The other does not. So I've asked Ben to, to help teach us this morning because I know that Ben is not uh, someone that just likes to think about discipleship in the abstract, though he can do that. Uh, he spent 20 plus years doing that with the Navigators ministry. But because Ben also really values discipleship as a 
practice, as something we do, something we live out together. And as he uh, helps form uh, navigators, campus communities, and steer their ministry here in the Northeast, he knows that that, that happens, that, that process of discipleship happens in specific and intentional relationships, where we, we challenge each other how to bring Jesus' words to us into real life, everyday life. So I've asked Ben to, to take the back half of the, the message this morning and help us think about that idea of practice. So it, it just seemed appropriate, uh, Pastor Dave, or also the missions committee asked me to offer a missions moment, and it seemed like to roll that into also part of the sermon, this kind of the Lord brought convergence. Um, and as Pastor Dave expressed, uh, our work with the Navigators makes us pretty passionate about thinking about uh, discipleship. And so as we're thinking about this JCC value of discipleship, uh, as our community, it just seemed appropriate for me to get to share some thoughts out of our own experience of working at this and trying to form people in this way uh, over the last years. And so as he mentioned, my wife Sarah and I are on staff, missionaries with the Navigators uh, in the Northeast, so that's New York, New England. Um, and we work particularly with collegiate students. Um, and so this is a picture of a picnic we had when we were finally able to get together for the first time after the pandemic. Um, and one of the things I would just draw your uh, sight to is there's a lot of young faces there, and that's exciting to me because one of the things that we have prayed and worked for is, Lord, would you give us the next generation of leaders who want to be missional among this generation of college students? Um, we love the, the experience, the age, the, the spiritual mothers and fathers who've gone before us who are still on staff. We have four couples who have been in the Northeast working with college students for 40 years. So like grinding it out, loving people well, rolling with the cultural tides and waves and changes. We've been praying like, where will the next generation come? And God is answering that prayer. And so you can kind of see that in some of the faces. Um, if you don't know, kind of the, the Navigators as an organization has a calling statement. And it's this, to advance the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom into the nations through spiritual generations of laborers living and discipling among the lost. And that's like this grandiose mouthful, and it, but it you know, gives great orientation to, to our work. Um, but, it, but we've simplified it just for ease of communicating. We want to know Christ. We want to make him known. We want to teach others to do the same thing. Know Christ, make him known, teach others to do the same. And so that's really given shape to mine and Sarah's life, our contribution. Um, and, and so I'd love to share some reflections on that. Um, but again, just since we also get to give a little missions moment, I just want to share one other thing. So one of the things that I get to do in my role as the regional director, as Dave expressed, is just foster campus communities or equip leaders. Uh, in many ways, my role is to be a pastor to campus leaders. And so uh, this is actually last weekend, the New York City NAVs had brought their fall retreat. There's a group of students up here to Huntington, used a retreat center there. Sarah made the food for the whole weekend for 35 people. So she made like 30 quarts of soup. And I mean, our kitchen was a you know, stocked, we'll just say for a while, but uh, it was a great joy. And so um, you see Brendan down there in front, he's our campus director there. So I've been coaching him. Um, and then he has an associate campus director, Melissa, sitting beside him. Um, and they're forming disciples of Jesus in New York City at New York University. And we got to take part with their ministry as they studied the Book of Ruth last weekend. So that's things that you give to, you pray for, you support us in doing, but it just kind of gives you a little picture, a glimpse into our world. Um, so what I'd like to share uh, with you today is really thinking about discipleship. And I know for me, it's, it's often a word that is used fairly exclusively in the church now. I don't know if there are many other contexts that you find yourself in that use that word as a, as a descriptor of something that's happening. Um, you know, we hear more about mentoring or coaching. 
And I think what helps me when I think about what is the scriptural idea of discipleship is to use the words whole life apprenticeship. You know, whole life apprenticeship. And so as disciples of Jesus, you and I are apprenticed to Jesus, which means we're learning from him. We're learning his teachings, his ways, his lifestyle, his worldview, his practices, with the end goal of becoming like him. You know, if you're apprenticing to a woodworker or a medical doctor or whatever, you know, a technician or, you know, whatever it is that you're being, you're learning, you want to become like the person you're learning from. And with Jesus, there's a whole life aspect to that. You're not just trying to do what he does, but be a type of person who does those things, you know, from the inside out, not just the externals. We want our whole life uh, to, to form that way. And the concept of Christian discipleship or apprentices of Jesus is, is really rooted in the concept of Christian community, too. That it's not just me, my Bible, and Jesus, but there's a sense, me, my Bible, and Jesus, and everybody else. And so there, there's an integration that we do this in community, that our lives are, you know, you even look at the way that Jesus formed his original following. He had these people gathered together who were sharing life. They were sharing meals. Their lives were colliding um, you know, if, you, if you've gotten into the Chosen series, you watch the little conflicts and the spats, and you have the sibling rivalry and, you know, warring factions and different things, but it's, it's a community that's apprenticed to Jesus, and there's personal responsibility, and there's corporate responsibility. We're learning his ways that we might become like him. We're living out this calling um, shoulder to shoulder and face to face. And the navigators, we just call that life-to-life -life discipleship. You know, it's not life-on-life -life that seems like it's a hierarchy and sometimes makes you feel like you've got to be a mentor to, to be on mission with anybody else, but life-to-life, -life, where we can be side-by-side, -side, doing things together, our lives intersecting or weaving uh, in and out. But there's also a face-to-face -face that we talk about things, we work it out, we ask each other questions, we challenge each other, we listen well, we, we help each other make wise decisions. You know, shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder and side-by-side, -side, you know, life, full, whole life apprenticeship. And I think when, I, when I've reflected on this, why is this Jesus' method? And I think what, I, what I've uh, come to recognize and see is in the context of community, you can't hide. And that's a very good thing. It is terrifying and it is wonderful at the same time that all your bad stuff comes out. It pops out. All the things, the basketball you've been holding underwater all of a sudden has a chance to sneak out over here and, and you can't hide it anymore. And that's a very good thing because that's where transformation can happen. And that happens in safe community. But it's not just the bad stuff that comes out in community. It's all the wonderful things. God has made you on purpose and for purpose with temperament, gifts, strengths, you know, things to contribute that often you can't even see because you're too close to them. Um, and so in community, there's a chance that those things come out too where you're like, wow, so-and-so has such a servant's heart. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that an incredible way that she reflects the heart of God and the design of God? And you as the community have the chance to affirm and bless that and call that out and forward and fan it into flame because we're not all the same. We don't all offer different things. And so in this life to life, you know, apprentices to Jesus on mission together, our stuff comes out so we can deal with it and our wonderful things come out so they can be blessed, affirmed, and employed. I think the other thing that's really powerful when we think about uh, just this life to life, you know, on mission, apprentice to Jesus there's a sense of we have the, the chance to incarnate spiritual truths. You know, love is a relational word, and it's nice to think about God loves me, but sometimes I need a, a flesh and bone person to help me understand what that means. And there's plenty of bad examples, but there's a lot of good ones too. You know, I, I, there's a chance in the church to be refamilied. If your family of origin 
was not very good. You have a chance to have a new mom and a new, mom, a new dad who can bless and affirm you in a way that maybe you didn't receive growing up. And because we all have sin, sin sometimes even from the best of families, you need some things retooled. And in the context of apprentices of Jesus, these things come forward um, and get worked out together. But we put kind of flesh and bones on these spiritual realities about God and about life. It, it translates, as Dave says, the, the philosophical or the theological, these big ideas, and puts them into real-life practice. And we have a chance to figure that out together. But as I've thought about this, too, to what end is this apprenticeship? You know, we read the Matthew 7 passage today that just says, well, it, it makes your house stable and firm. And, like, that's great, but so what? Well, it can withstand the storms. And it's like, that's great, but Why? You know, and in some ways, there is a sense that storms come. You know, we, we experience a pandemic, for example, or we experience trials, uh, we experience death, we experience a lot of things. And, it, and there is a sense of in being apprentices of Jesus that our lives are stable and able to handle the waves that hit us. And there's also an eternal reality that there will be a reckoning at the end of time when Jesus returns. And there's a sense of our life anchored in Jesus means that our life withstands that and we enter into eternal life. But I don't think it's just personal salvation or just that we can handle the life. I actually think there's a sense of we're apprentices to Jesus so we can bless the world. That we get caught up in God's redemptive story from beginning to end. You know, so that our life matters, our temporal life, whether God gives you 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, or some of you 100 years um, before seeing Jesus face to face, that you have a chance to be caught up in Jesus' redemptive mission to call all people to himself. And as apprentices, as you're learning his ways and his, his teachings and his practices, you become someone who becomes a blessing to your family, to your neighbors, to the world around you. You, you become transformed. So we're being apprenticed, certainly in, a, in an, an eternal sense of salvation, certainly in a temporal sense of being able to withstand the difficulties that come in life. We become deep-rooted people. But there's also a sense of our apprenticeship transforms us. We, we are actually free to offer ourselves for the sake of the world. You know, it's interesting that when I've been reflecting on the promise that God gave to Abraham, when he, when he calls him, you know, he's but one, but he blessed him that he might become a blessing. You know, and that there's, a, there's an unfolding promise that he gives throughout Genesis to Abraham, you know, that he become the father of many nations, but that I will bless you so you might bless many others. And we get caught up in that lineage as we become apprentices of Jesus, that our lives receive from God and from others you know, our, our worldview gets reoriented, our deep needs get met, our life begets, uh, becomes lived the way that it was meant to be lived, where things are in their proper order, their proper place, so that we can become very fruitful or pour out for the sake of the world. So we become a blessing to our neighbors, we become a blessing to our spouse or our friends or our roommates, you know, or the people that everyone else doesn't like. You know, it gives us an internal dunamis and gravitas to bless the world around us. So how do we start doing that? Um, and I just figured I'd share a couple of personal stories. Sarah's was like, you gotta tell a story. Don't just talk about it in the big idea. And she's great at telling the stories. Once you get me going, I'm fine, but I don't always connect the dots. So, so I had to think hard and I was like, okay, what, what stories would actually be illustrative of this, this life-to-life -life discipleship, this apprenticeship um, to Jesus? And I thought of two. So the first one took place back in 2005. Uh, I was invited to move my life. I was single at the time, I was invited to move my life. Um, to Burlington to help pioneer a ministry at the University of Vermont uh, with Tim and Crystal Losher. And they had also recruited a young man named Greg 
um, to come as a volunteer. So he, he was kind of in the midst of graduation and figuring out where his life was headed. And so they invited him, hey, would you want to come and help us plan a ministry at the University of Vermont? And so by faith, he said yes. And so he, he moved, but was unable to find a job with, in, in his field of study. And so by faith, he took on temp work. And I just really respected him for that. Like he, he's like, this is what God has asked me to do. I got to pay the bills, so I'll work, work temp jobs. And it just was really, um, it was actually really instructive for me just watching his humility and doing that. And so uh, Greg and I became friends, both single young guys, life in Burlington, figuring it out, figuring out ministry. Um, and we spent time on campus for sure. But we also just en- ended up saying, as a prince of Jesus, like, let's, let's hang out, let's do things together. And so we'd go for runs and swims or hikes or road trips and just our, our lives kind of intersected. And so sometimes we talk about what we're learning in the scriptures and how we're trying to apply that. Sometimes we talk about dating and the confusion that comes with being attracted to women. Um, sometimes we talk about uh, living with roommates. I live with Dave Johnson and my brother and that was a great joy and roommates are hard. Um, and he had roommates too that were challenging and so we just like, how do we love our roommates well and you know, embrace conflict as it happens? Um, and so we just, our lives were shoulder to shoulder and also face to face, and our lives intersected. And at the time, uh, Greg's temporary job was working at Revision Eyewear here in Wilston, which makes military eyewear and protective equipment. And he was doing it, wasn't like his dream job, but he was doing it faithfully and was paying the bills. In an offhanded way, one time he just said, yeah, I make goggles at the goggle factory. And I thought it was pretty funny, and he did too at the time, and so we kind of laughed, yeah, I'm making goggles at the goggle factory. And so on future runs, they're like, how's work at the goggle factory? And you just kind of keep asking, how's work at the goggle factory? And it was just kind of a way to connect and kind of play the joke out further. And then on one of our runs, he goes, hey, you probably don't know this, but um, I really don't like that you keep referring to my work as the goggle factory. I'm finding it doesn't really help me love my coworkers very well or persevere there in a job I don't love. So I'd appreciate it if you just stop. And after I caught my breath, I found an awkward apology and thanked him for letting me know. And I was kind of you know, backpedaling. Um, but I think what I really appreciated was there was something that was getting between our friendship and he, and he let me know about it. And he didn't do it in a passive-aggressive way. He modeled speaking the truth in love. Um, he modeled healthy confrontation. Um, he didn't use shame to motivate me. He gave me opportunity to ask for forgiveness and to move on, and he never brought it up again. Um, he invited me to even believe the gospel that, of course, you're going to make mistakes. Of course, you can't read my mind. Of course, whatever. It just like offered that to me as a friend. And it was just so helpful for me to have that example of someone who I liked and respected. I didn't want to hurt, um, but I had and had made a mistake. And he, and he let me know, but he didn't make a, a mountainous experience of that. And he let me know before it got really bad. And I, what I also appreciated is our, as our lives kind of collided in this moment, um, he highlighted a potential character issue for me. It made me stop and just say, am I doing this in other relationships? Am I using sarcasm or mocking as a way to connect? That's actually unhelpful. I mean, I love a good joke and that's totally fine. I think God has a sense of humor. I mean, he made our bodies for goodness sakes. That's pretty funny when you look at your body some days. But, um, but I think like, are we using humor in an appropriate way? And that was just a really helpful reflection point for me as a fellow disciple of Jesus. Am I in the effort to connect using something unhelpfully? And so you too, as you're in apprentices to Jesus, you know, on behalf of the world of being transformed for the sake of others, um, you know, caught up in Jesus's mission, you can help each other. 
And that doesn't mean you have permission to, you know, to let everybody know all your issues with them. This presupposes some relationship, that you have some people that you're in community with that have permission to affirm you, that you can actually receive it, not just like do the, the like, no, 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 no. It's like, it's actually appropriate when someone calls out something good and doesn't do it to flatter you to say, thank you, I appreciate you telling me. Like that's just really good and actually appropriate esteem building. But hopefully you're also in relationships where people can call you out on some stuff that isn't in line with the gospel and do it well with grace and truth. You know, it's interesting, many people love Proverbs 27, 17, which says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. And it's a great verse, but it's easy to forget when iron sharpens iron, sparks fly. You know, metal gets ground off. It's a hard endeavor. It, it, it creates friction. You know, pieces come off at the end. But I think that's the point, that there's a sense of as we come into Christian relationship, as we're apprentices to Jesus and our lives collide and bump into each other, and we choose to do it and our choose to stay in it, it has great smoothing effect. It has great sharpening and it makes the tool more effective, makes your life more effective. It grinds off some of these hard parts. But they have to come in contact. It's not just like, I think about my knives and they get sharp. It's like, I actually have to put the whetstone to them. And so your lives, as they bump into others in an effective way, become more useful as you become a blessing to your neighbors. So one more brief example, uh, and then I'll share just as Dave expressed the congregational challenge for you to think about this week. Um, Something that we read about continually, if you read especially the Old Testament prophets, but also uh, through the Old Testament, is God's heart for the poor, the foreigner, the orphan, the widow, the disenfranchised, the disadvantaged. And often the sharpest words that he has for people is a failure to care about anything but themselves. And as we've sought to form disciples of Jesus or apprentices to Jesus, we've just said, like, what does it look like to form this value in them? Like, in the 21st century, what does that look like? Does everyone need to, you know, not pursue a career in engineering and just go work in the homeless shelter or the Salvation Army or, you know, a new place or whatever? Is that, is that the clear application of that? Or is there something different? Like, how do we figure that out? Um, and we weren't sure, but we have this good friend, Stephanie, uh, who's also in the Navigators, and she's thought really deeply about this. It really helped us think about, we want to form character that has a disposition towards the things that God cares about and let him make the application with them as he calls their life. And so what we decided to do was, what would it look like to design spring break trips? You know, in student ministry, often in March, you have a week off or nine days with the inclusive weekends. So what if we design spring break oriented, or spring break service trips where we take the students somewhere and partner with an organization that was doing it really well. You know, and so we found four different places that we'd go. One that was working with um, rural poverty in Appalachia, um, you know, in Kentucky. We worked with uh, refugee resettlement in uh, Tennessee, I think it was. We worked with um, homeless ministry in Atlanta and another place that I'm forgetting right now. Um, and then we also worked with um, uh, working poor in, um, in an urban environment. It's just had four different ones. And then we wrote corresponding Bible studies for these trips. And so we take the students, we'd go to a location, we'd put them in small groups, and we'd study the Word of God together. Like, what does God say? What does he care about? You know, how do you wrestle it out? And let them wrestle it out in the communities that it would already form on campus. And then we'd go and show up and work side by side with one another and with this organization and watch what they did and participate. And sometimes it was just, you know, wielding a shovel or, or uh, swinging a hammer. Sometimes it was helping a non-English speaker fill out an application for a job online. Um, and so we did all kinds of things. Uh, and then at the end of the trip, we would do a debrief with the students in terms of like, what does it look like to take this back to UVM? What does this look like to take back to your context, to your family, to your roommates? What, what, how is this affecting or changing you as an apprentice of Jesus? 
You know, what, it, what is he asking you to do with this? And it, those are just really meaningful trips for most of us. And I know for Sarah and me, uh, you know, we have a particular calling with the navigators. God has called us to live in West Bolton. Um, you know, and certainly it, it has really informed our understanding and shaped our understanding of what does it mean to notice the needs in our community and do something about them? What does it mean to draw alongside a struggling neighbor, but without being patronizing or enabling? You know, see the people that no one else sees. And I would just say that, that, that our relationship with Stephanie really helped us think about that, where it's like, we don't feel called to move back to Burlington and get involved with a new place. We'd like to support a new place and do those things. But God has planted us in a community on purpose. But what it, our disposition has been so formed as a prince of Jesus, like, how do we see those around us that are struggling that no one else knows about? And what does it look like to come alongside and do something about it, to be a blessing to those neighbors? And it's really been in that context, our friendship with Stephanie, um, you know, the, the, uh, the life to life, the side by side, that's really informed that. So as I think about what I've been sharing about, you know, just another, another way to think about it for you all is the simplicity and profundity of spiritual friendship. You know, and, and that certainly can happen, you know, if you're married with a spouse, but it's also really helpful to have someone who's a non-family unit because a family has a very particular way of doing things, a, a way of going, and that's very good. It makes your family run and work. But often bringing another party in brings a new perspective and bring, brings something else into the mix that you, your family is, might be a little bit blind to. But just really the profundity of spiritual friendship, you know, apprentices of Jesus together, life-to-life -life discipleship together, a few people, you know, alongside each other that have permission to bless and to speak in and, and challenge. Because we're all trying to work out this calling, this beautiful gospel calling that God has placed on each of our lives so that we might become a blessing to those around us. So here's this week's congregational challenge as you think about this. Oh, and I forgot my slide, oh well. Um, so here's something you can do this week. Read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in one sitting. You know, if you haven't read that in a while, reading it in one sitting is really helpful. This is, this is one big idea, one big sermon. It's an incredibly beautiful sermon. Read it in one sitting. See the scope and the flow, but read it without stopping to study it or to drill down into one idea. Read the whole thing, Matthew 5 to 7. And then go back through it slowly, you know, whether it's that same day or you need to wait another day. And then just really ask the question, Lord, is there one thing that you want to put your finger on? Because most of the time, God just wants to put his finger on one thing. You know, I, sometimes it's easy for me to be like, I just need everything to change because everything is wrong. And it, sometimes that's true. More often than not, God wants to pick at one thing. So I just invite you to read back and just say, like, is there one thing that kind of jumps off the page? And then pray and write it down because um, then it's easier to remember. But pray, like, Lord, is what, with this, as I've read this in the Sermon on the Mount, what could it look like for me to begin to put this into practice? And then also pray, Lord, would you bring to mind one person who could help me do that? Whether it's we do it together, who could hold me accountable, who could, who could also be challenged to do this too? And the fourth step seems a little silly, but if you don't have a plan, a place, and a time, you probably won't do it. And so then pull up your date planner and say, I'm going to do this then. Either call the person, invite them into this process, or um, call this person, invite them, you know, to hold me accountable, or this is when I'm actually going to go and do that. You know, and so read, reflect, apply, do it. Um, so I tried to do this, this exercise this past week just to generate some ideas for you of what could be, not what should be, but what could be. You know, as you read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, here's a couple things that could be an application for you. Maybe you want to grab another couple or another friend and make a meal for a new place and go and eat with the guests there in response to Jesus' heart for the disadvantaged. 
you know, maybe as you read Jesus's, you know, exhortation and instruction to give generously, um, maybe you want to reach out to Michaela Quinn and support her ministry financially because she's called by God to go overseas, you know, on behalf of the gospel to the Middle East. You know, giving generously and empowering someone else to go and be a, a gospel ambassador. Maybe that's a great application for you. Maybe, maybe the application is, I just need to get to know the teachings of Jesus better, but I really am stuck on my own. So maybe what Jesus is challenging you to do is, could I call one friend and set up an hour-long meeting, whether it's on Zoom or in person, that we just read a gospel, talk about it, and figure out what it means to apply it, but you do it with another friend. That'd be a great application. Another one could be maybe in, in some of Jesus' teachings about forgiveness and things like that, maybe what he highlights for you is, I need to reconcile a broken relationship that I've been putting off for a long time, and it's time to reconcile with this person. And so maybe that, that's a great application. Who could I call to help me sort out what to do to make a plan to begin moving forward? Who could it support me and help me follow through on that? So just four things that came to mind as I read through Jesus' uh, teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. But I just be excited. I, and again, if you, if you want to share them with me, I'd be happy to hear what your application ends up being. Um, but uh, I would also encourage you to share them with someone else uh, in terms of what Jesus leads you to do. So again, just, just in summary, you and I, as disciples of Jesus, we're being apprenticed to Jesus for the sake of the world, the world that he's redeeming and that he loves very much. And he's entrusted to you gifts and talents and abilities to employ, to be fruitful, to multiply your life and the lives of others, just who you are, but you also need some help. And so as a family of God, you know, at JCC in this time and place, let's do that together. Let's continue to belong to one another as we belong to God and to really value following by putting into practice what Jesus has taught us to do. So just to pray for you all, and myself included, and then we'll shift to probably the offering. Usually that's the spiritual thing we do after the sermon. Um, and so let me pray for you all. So Lord, thank you for these dear friends and family members. Thank you that you have called us to yourself and for yourself. And I do pray that we would be hearers who do, not just hearers who hear. Would you, as we pursue you this week, bring to mind that which you want to work on with us? And would you bring to mind one person or one, a couple of people that we could uh, engage our lives with that would help us be more effective apprentices to you? We pray in your name. Amen.